in recent months, stories of absolute train wrecks happening in the lives of very prominent church leaders. And I see this. And I never find myself saying, I'm better than them. No, I see myself as grateful to God. Thank you, God, that you have protected me from falling into this same trap and temptation to sin. I can be just as vulnerable. Thank you that you have protected me. I'm not better than them. You have protected me, God, and I'm gracious, grateful to you for that. We've all been in this place. So I feel the Pharisee who was also victim to the abuse of the Roman Empire and the abuse of the tax collectors and the oppression from them was truly thanking God. The Pharisee is very morally upright and he's also very religious. But this is where it starts to get off the rails. He was very religious, but he also had placed his hope at righteousness in his activity and not in the affections of his heart for God and what God had accomplished for him. I mean, he jumps right into offering, saying, God, thank you. He goes right into offering up his virtues to God for justification. And he doesn't just offer the normal ones. He doesn't just say, you know, God, thank you that I attend the synagogue once a week and I don't watch rated R movies and I listen to only Christian music. He doesn't lift those up to him. He comes right off the bat throwing the big ones out there. He says, I fast twice a week. I fast twice a week. And this attention to fasting falls right in line with this kingdom focus of these last few weeks in these parables. Because Jesus was actually asked at one point, why, do you, why don't your disciples fast, Jesus? And Jesus would answer them by saying that they don't fast because I'm still with them. But there's going to come a time when I'm not going to be with them. And they will fast in anticipation of my return. So Jesus is actually setting a precedence that his people will fast in expectation and desire for his return. Fasting, fasting is not a common practice, not even today. But the Pharisee here, he fasts twice per week. And you say, well, he did that because he was so focused on the law. Well, in Leviticus 16, the law actually required one fast per year on the Day of Atonement. And later, another fast was added. But basically, the law, two fasts were commanded per year. And this guy is saying he fasted twice a week as the Pharisees would do to commemorate and to reflect on Moses' receiving of the law. So he comes and he says, you know what? Here's my activity. The law says twice a year. I'm doing it twice a week, God. Look at this. Look how I'm fasting. Look at my activity. But he doesn't just fast, but he tithes everything. He is a zealot in regards to the law, just crazy about taking the law and then practicing it to the extreme. To be quite honest, you and I would probably find ourselves more in the shoes of the Pharisee than we do in the shoes of the tax collector. We run the risk of making the same critical errors, error that the Pharisee did. Our prayers may seem right in one sense and that we thank God for the free gift of faith to be able to believe in his grace that was offered to us freely through Jesus. We acknowledge that it is only through Jesus that we are saved, but yet... We then regard the living out of our faith through being disciplined and, be, and through being faithful as the fruit of our own self-discipline. We often pitch our own accomplishments, whether we realize it or not. We pitch our own accomplishments to God as if he is pleased more with us when we prove to him that we were able to perform and he has, proved le- he has, he has uh, pleased less when we do not do the right activities. 
And this carries the same characteristics of the prayer of the Pharisee. And we can so easily find ourselves comparing our activity to the activity of others and believing this terrible disillusion that all is well with our self-righteous souls. We often find ourselves, hear what God says about our own righteousness based on activity. Romans 9, beginning with verse 30, says this, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it was based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness for righteousness to everyone who believes. So whereas the Pharisee would come and say, it's about my activity, Jesus would say, no, it's not about that. It's about your faith in my righteousness. So we see the errors in the Pharisees, but then we see the prayer of the tax collector, and it is much shorter. The tax collector stood far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector is as broken as he can get. He offers no self-justification. He offers no excuses for his behavior. He offers no morality at all. Undoubtedly, he had done something good. He offers nothing. He just begs through his tears as he beats his chest and begs that God would be merciful to him. The Pharisee was still trying to direct his pursuit of righteousness trying to work on his own strength to find right standing before God, whereas the tax collector had truly come to an end to himself. A.W. Tozer addresses this similar situation when he said this, the reason why many are still troubled, the reason why many are still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to an end of themselves. He said, we're still trying to give orders and interfere with God's working within us. The Pharisee most likely stood at the front of the temple, but the tax collector stood at a distance, probably barely in the temple courts where most Gentiles would gather. He being a Jew, but yet gathering out probably barely in the temple courts. The Pharisee stood with his eyes lifted up, and the tax collector, in contrast, would not even lift his head. The Pharisee prayed with confidence in what he had done and in his virtues. But the tax collector was sorrowful and had nothing to cling to but mercy, to fall on the mercy of God. The Pharisee confessed all of his virtues and the tax collector only confessed his sinfulness. He had come to an end to himself. We see a similar situation occur in the confession of David in Psalm 51 where David begins by saying, have mercy on me God. David offers nothing. 
He offers nothing. He brings nothing to God but a cry for mercy after, after having an adulterous affair with Bathsheba and then having her husband killed. David begins his prayer to God in repentance, not by saying, well, I was king. Look at the things I did do well, contrast to the things I didn't do well. He says, have mercy on me, a sinner. He brings nothing to God but a cry for mercy. Paul would say the same things in Philippians chapter 3. Paul would say, if anyone has any reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he lists, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he said, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Hmm. Paul says that this is the righteousness that we desire to obtain. Righteousness that depends on faith. Not works, not accomplishments, not virtues. But faith that Jesus is merciful and gracious to those who call on him. And then Jesus would, in our parable, would just drop the boom with the meaning of this passage. And he says that the Pharisee, with all of his discipline and morality, though feeling accomplished, would leave the temple unaccepted and unjustified. While the tax collector, who had made his living by abusing people and being a traitor to his own people, by having repented and casting himself on the mercy of God, would leave the temple justified. That verse is a haunting verse. Haunting because we we live in a culture where we focus a lot on activity as the means by which we gain righteousness. And Jesus says that activity left the Pharisee unaccepted and unjustified. What do we mean by justification? That's a big word. What do we mean by that? What we mean by that is right standing before God. Not neutral before God, but right standing, positive. Jesus did not just get us back to neutral. He got us into right standing with God. No other religion in the world offers salvation freely. Not based on our works, not based on our ability to comply, not based on the things that we have done but totally on the work of Jesus who came to us on our behalf. We don't have to to, to try through our activity and actions to get to him. He came to us through Jesus and he said, my son has died for you and his blood was perfect and it paid the price for your sin. No other religion offers that. Listen to this verse in Romans chapter three, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Because listen, we're, we're all in the same place. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And we are justified. We are brought into right standing with God by his grace as a gift. It's a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by 
faith. Why? Because this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just. And listen, not only will he be just, but he might be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Man, that we're not justified by our activity. Do we work? Yes, we work with all that we have so that Jesus may be glorified in our life. But look what he says here. He says, my righteousness, I give it to you as a gift that you receive through faith so that I may be seen as just and I may be seen as the justifier. Not you seen as the justifier, that I might be seen as the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Jesus is the only one who is just and the only one who justifies all who place their faith in him. And then Jesus would finish this parable by saying that if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. And if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. Before God, the Pharisee offered his accomplishments as justification and the tax collector pled the blood of Christ. The only hope that followers of Christ have today is this, Christ alone, Christ alone, Christ alone. It's only through Jesus. I look across the room and you are some fine people that I love deeply, but your only plea is to plead the blood of Jesus. It's our only plea. I look across the room and I know the activities that you're engaged in. I know the service that you have for the kingdom. I know the hospitable spirit that you have to welcome those who do not know Jesus yet. But that's not our plea. Our plea is the blood of Jesus. Our plea is the blood of Jesus because only through his blood are we able to be the people that he has called us to be. So what do we gain this morning? What are some characteristics that Rodney spoke so well last week about persistence in prayer? And then if we're looking this week at a parable that talks about the heart behind the prayer, what are some characteristics that we should have for those who have truly fallen on the mercy of God? And in closing, I give you just three quick things for that I find from this parable. First of all, I see that the characteristic of those who have truly fallen on the grace of Jesus, there'll be a heart of gratefulness. We will be grateful people. Now, I don't want to just throw the Pharisee under the bus because I think we do learn something from the Pharisee in this parable. We learn that it is only by the grace of God that we are who we are. It's only by his grace. The victories in your life are an extension of the gracious and merciful hand of the Father. All of us can look back over our lives. Everyone in here, you can look back on your life and you can think of a moment where you are one bad choice from completely changing the course of your life. One bad choice. And yet God, in his mercy, enabled us to, be, to, 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 to not fall into that. Why? Because he's good and we're grateful to him. God, thank you that you protected me to this point. Thank you that you sustained my life, that I don't just fall into all kinds of sin. Thank you for delivering me from temptation. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 17, 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Psalm 118, beginning with verse 19, says this, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. 
This is the gate of the Lord that the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's a gift. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we give. We pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. He said, bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. We come to him with a heart of gratitude and we're grateful. Thank you, God, for being so good to us. I can look at my life and it can sometimes feel like an absolute wreck. But God, you've been so faithful to get me to this point. Many of us can look at our circumstances and say they're just, they're terrible. I don't know what's going on here. Thank you, God, that you've brought me to this point And thank you that you are leading me through these trials and these temptations. Because I know that that is evidence of you working in my life for something good. Thank you, God, for being so grateful. But not only is it we have a characteristic of gratefulness, we also have a characteristic of self-denial. So check this out. All of us come to Christ with a past that must be denied. We must lay down self. For a lot of us, it can be church baggage. For a lot of you, it may be worldly baggage, but we all bring some kind of baggage that we have to deny. And as we start to get freedom from this baggage, that it is not about my activity, we begin to get freedom from these things, that we aren't defined by our past problems, we aren't defined by our past successes. We are defined freely. We are defined freely by the freedom that we have in Jesus. And, you will find, and we can run the danger that we start to find ourselves walking upright, chasing after holiness. And if we aren't careful, Christ can then not be the source of our righteousness anymore. We may even give God the credit for kickstarting us on this journey, but in our core, we begin to exalt ourselves and eventually find ourselves being distanced from the sinner we were when we received the gospel. Now hear me this morning. We most definitely move to spiritual depths. Absolutely. We don't stay just across the threshold of the salvation of Jesus. He grows us. We learn what it means to be his follower. We grow deeper. We, sin becomes more distant to us as we find victory through Jesus from those things. We grow in discipline as God molds and shapes us to where we find ourselves gaining victories over the sins that once defined us. There's nothing wrong with loving and having a heart of gratefulness for what God has brought us from. But, hear me this morning, you can take a swim in the deepest pools of theology and at the bottom you will find the gospel of Jesus Christ, that righteousness is through him alone. We have nothing to boast in other than Jesus. God does not lead us to a disciplined life so that then our activity will be our Savior. That's what the Pharisee clung to. But the very fuel for our worship of him is that no matter how long we have walked with him, it is Christ alone. Galatians 2.21 says that if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. For some of you here this morning, you need to find your way back to the gospel. You once denied self only to pick it up again. 
You need to rediscover the righteousness that comes only through Jesus and not through our activity. For others, you need to find your way to the gospel. To see that your past, your heritage, does not define you any longer. But that through Jesus, you can be made righteous before God. Self-denial is the first step. When Jesus says, ask, how do we follow after you? He said, if any man comes after me, let him deny himself. We see this in the prayer of the tax collector who was justified. He denied anything he had ever accomplished because undoubtedly he had done something right. Denied all that. He said, I come to you empty-handed as a sinner. I've heard it once said that the only re- that Christianity is the re- one religion where the only requirement is that we come to him and admit that we're sinful. Trusting in what Jesus could do for us. And then finally, I think we see a heart of humility. That if we're going to be a people who are persistent in prayer and our hearts are motivated by the right motivation, then we will practice humility. Jesus not only gives an illustration of humility through the contrast of the tax collector and Pharisee, but he actually says it at the end of the passage. He says, whoever humbles himself will be exalted and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. In James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, James writes, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And what will happen? He will exalt you. He will exalt you. In Proverbs chapter 16 Verse 18, it talks about pride, the opposite of humility. And it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We must ask ourselves this morning, are there areas in our life that we have allowed pride to swell up? The Pharisee in this parable brought a laundry list of accomplishments before God and the tax collector, nothing. Yet it was the tax collector who went away justified. Are you finding yourself humble before God? When I was growing up, there was a popular hymn. I grew up in a small rural church, I guess you'd say. There was a popular hymn, though, that was sung many Sundays during the time of response at the end of the service. At the time, it had become a routine formality to me that we would always sing it at the end of the service. But looking back, the words of the song sum up the parable in Luke 18. In 1835, a poet named Charlotte Elliott was 46 years old. And an elderly man approached her at a dinner party and asked if she was a Christian. She considered him quite rude, somewhat unkind, and asking in this setting was not appropriate to her. But after the man walked away, Charlotte Elliott could not get this question out of her mind, so she went and she found the man. And she asked him, what do you mean? How do I become a Christian? And through explanation, that night she received Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And soon thereafter, she wrote a hymn titled, Just As I Am. And this was a testimony to her newfound faith in Jesus. And as a tribute to the man who told her that she could come to Christ, in her own words, just as she was. She didn't have to bring anything to him that he called her to come to him just as she was. And the opening line of that hymn sums up Luke 18 when the words say, Just as I am without one plea, 
but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, in other words, that, that you, you call me to come to you. O Lamb of God, I come. And I love the words because that defines the tax collector. He came to God to pray and said, I don't have any plea but that the blood of Jesus was shed for me. That's my only plea. Everything they say about me is true. I bring nothing but that the blood was shed for me and that you call me to come to you. Christians and non-Christians alike, may we all receive this truth this morning that we only have one plea. And that is that Jesus died and shed his blood for us and that he calls us to him. So this morning as we respond through the giving of tithes and offerings and most importantly through the, 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 the act of communion. If you're not a believer and you've never been a part of this, you could, you'll see as those who, are, who, have, who have given their life to Christ will come. The, the bread is remindful of us that Jesus' body was broken for us. And it is dipped in that juice. It is a reminder that Jesus' blood was shed for us. And so this morning as you come and, and respond and you take communion, may we, may we be reminded that what we celebrate through communion is a reminder to us that like the tax collector, we come with one plea. Our only hope and plea is that the truth that Jesus' blood was sufficient for our salvation. So let's pray together.